So let's pray. Father, you're a great God. You're a mighty God. And we are blessed to be called your children. Let us not forget that, Lord. This morning as we go to your word, I pray, Father, that you would remind us what that means. You'd remind us what it looks like to walk as your child. Speak clearly through your word, I pray. Directly to our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, we're in a series, we're in Luke, for those that may have forgotten over the last year or two. Um, so we're, we're in Luke, and you know this is all your fault, by the way, Rhonda, you know that, right? You started discipling your uh, co-worker, and um, you said, I don't know where to take her, so we, this is for them, actually, not for, I'm teasing you, but the, the reason we're going through Luke is if you have the privilege of being there when someone surrenders to Christ, and you're saying, How do, what do I do? Um, the Gospel of Luke is written to people like us, Gentiles, so to speak, people who aren't Jews, um, to explain the ministry of Christ. And so it's just the perfect book to take a brand new, don't know anything believer through to explain who Jesus is, who, what his ministry was, what the Gospel is. It's just all there. And, it's, and John, everybody takes everybody to John. I think John may have been doing drugs sometimes. <laughs> he, John is out there sometimes. I mean, it, his stuff is beautiful, and, and you catch phrases of it, but it comes sometimes through the weirdest ways. Um, Luke is just kind of plain and straightforward. And so what we're doing here is we're, we're, we're walking through, and I, what I hope you're doing is you're learning Luke so that if God gives you that privilege, that you know, hey, I, let's go to Luke and let's read through Luke, and you have some background and understanding in it. And in all honesty, that's actually what Luke was doing for Theophilus. He's explaining the gospel in Christ, and this is his laying that out to convince him uh, that Jesus, serving Jesus is worth it. <laughs> and we've come to a point. Now, um, Cody did a nice job reminding us of this the other week. That we have, that the, it is key, you remember this through this section of the book of Luke, that he came down off the Mount of, Conf, uh, off the Mount of Config, uh, Transfiguration, yeah, Configuration. Um, he came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, and it said at that point, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He is headed to the cross. He knows it. He's driving there, and I don't know about you guys, but you know the, the day will come when some of you guys are equipped and ready to push me out of the way, and, I, and I'm old and, and getting feeble, or in that last year before I hand the reins over, I'm going to tell you, there's, I'm going to tell you some things that are important. I'm going to probably get a little more serious and a little more pointed and, and go, okay, this is, you know... The next year, I'm letting someone else have the voice. I'm going to get out what I need to get out. And that's what you see Jesus doing. Chapter 17, Luke detailed how he, talked, he fought with the Pharisees about the end times. 
and he and he basically was telling him, "Stop acting like somebody would know. It, it's going to come as a surprise and as a shock." And now he's transitioned into saying, "Hey, uh, well, the question's not when is it going to happen. The question is, are you ready for it to happen?" And so he he's got gone through several things. He went through a parable of a the relentless widow, who and he said, "Your God is." Faithful, he will answer your prayers. Keep praying in faith. He ends that with this sobering statement, but when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? Are we going to still be praying and fighting for the Lord's will? Are we going to still be pleading with him for, for his will to be done, or are we going to give up and quit? Then he goes into talking, last week we talked about the fact that he, he contrasted the Pharisee who walks around in his self-righteousness to the tax collector who beat his chest and said, all I have is your mercy. And he's saying, if you, the one who was justified, the one who is declared innocent is the one who recognized his state before the Lord and relied on God's mercy and not, not his own self-righteousness. Today, Luke continues this teaching by this, talking about this encounter that we have in Luke 18. If you would, stand with me and we'll read Luke 18, starting in verse 15. And, and in, this, in this passage, he's going to give us another clue of who gets to enter the kingdom. When he does come again, who's going with him? We'll see. <laughs> Pay attention then. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in. Close your eyes for a second. I want you to say this phrase after me, and I want you to focus on it as you say it. I serve a great and mighty God. Say that with me. I serve a great and mighty God. One more time and focus on, think about the new pictures of the universe we're seeing. Think about the beauty of everything. Think about the detail of just a flower. God imagined all of that. Scripture tells us that Jesus holds it all together. And yet he knows your name. I serve a great and mighty God. Be seated. Now, this is an interesting passage from the standpoint of Luke doesn't explain a whole lot that's going on. Uh, Why were people bringing babies? Um, And Luke's the only one who details the fact that it's babies. Um, Luke says says they were bringing babies to Jesus so that he could put his hands on them and bless them. Now, this was a tradition 
on the Day of Atonement, people would bring their children to the elders of the city to have them lay their hands on them and, and bless them. So, but I don't think this was the Day of Atonement, at least it's anything we can see. So it's, it's odd that they would be doing that. So obviously people are thinking, this man's different. I'm, I know it's not the Day of Atonement, but I want to have my baby blessed. And so they're bringing their children to have them blessed. And the disciples are seeing this, and they're thinking, you know, Jesus has more important things to do than to bless babies. He's got real sick people. He's got blind and lame. He's got uh, Pharisees to fight. He's, you know, Jesus does not have time for all these little babies. And that's not, does that sound kind of rude to you guys? D's anti-baby. <laughs> I heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> okay. We'll let D off the hook for a moment. But in their culture, you have to understand, children had no status. They were seen, whether it's the Romans or the Jews, the children were seen as the property of the patriarch. They were a possession. Their position was, now that doesn't mean that they didn't have those, the parenting instincts. They, they loved their kids. and So don't, don't hear me say that, but as a culture, they accepted the fact that kids had no value. And so, it would be fairly normal for them to say, look, you kids stay over there. We've we got to take care of adult business over here. I mean, we never do that today, right? So, what's going on may be normal, but I don't think it was what Jesus wanted. And Mark, actually, I love it, because when Mark says it, he says, Jesus became indignant. He looked at the disciples, and he's like... What are you doing? I don't think so. And he says, let them come to me. Now here's something I want you to catch in this. Listen to the heart of God. Jesus, he had a lot on his plate. He was doing a lot of really important things. He had a lot going on. But his heart was, I got room for more, bring the children. I've got room for more, bring the children. Do you ever feel like God's too busy for you? That he's got too much going on to care about your little stuff? Remember, even in his society, even in the culture that he lived in, those that everybody else would say, go to the back of the room and wait your turn, and you probably won't get a turn. You're not that important. He got indignant and said, stop it. Let him come. Your stuff isn't too trivial. Your life isn't so unimportant to him that when he says, come to me,
that he doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean that he won't do whatever it takes to remove the obstacles for you to come to him. You are important. But you have to understand why you're important. That's the key. That's the key. And as we go, you kind of get to see, we'll hit that point. Why are you important? But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, and when, he, when Jesus says truly, it means pay attention. Listen up. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in. Jesus turns the tables. He says, you guys are keeping the kids from coming to me because you think they're less important, and I'm telling you that these are the only ones who get it. Why is a baby important? Is a baby important because it can vacuum and do the dishes? No. How often do we treat each other as we're only important, though, if we can vacuum and do the dishes and keep the house clean? Is that baby important because it can bring home money and pay the bills? Nope. How often do we think our value is in being able to bring home money and pay the bills? Is that baby... A wise counselor? Nope. That baby brings absolutely nothing to the table. That baby is valuable for one reason and one reason only. Because the one who loves them says they are. You are valuable for one reason and one reason only. Because the one who loves you, Jesus Christ, says you are. And most of us, when we come to salvation, we get it. How many of you guys were broken and lost and realized when you came to Christ that you had nothing? So why do we quit living that way? To receive the kingdom as a child begins with first being humble. Humble. Constant theme for Luke. Over in Luke 13.30, you know, just leading up to this, he, he says, And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This theme that, hey, the least is going to be the greatest. How many of us fight? How many of you guys want to be great? Come on, be honest. How many of you guys want to be great? Man, remember, lying is a sin. (laughs) 
How about if we just be his? Who cares if you're great? Just be his. I promise you, as, as both your pastor and your friend, on those days when you and I get this and we're just his, you're pretty great. But it ain't because of you. It's because of him reflecting through you. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The very second your pride tells you to start lifting yourself up. And we do that not just by bragging. How many of you guys ever get defensive? You know, that's pride. You're thinking less of me, therefore I'm going to defend myself. Humility is a hard thing to grasp. It is a lot harder than you think it is. See, humility was the tax collector we read about last week who stood before God, his sin laid bare, broken, knowing he had no merit before God, beating his chest and saying, please be satisfied with me because of your mercy, because of who you are, not because of who I am. And I will tell you that most of us in this room came to Christ that way. But I'll also tell you that I have watched most of us in the mirror more than any place, and we forget, and we start thinking that we have something, and we are something, and that we, we have something apart from Christ. And it comes out. We get defensive. We get judgmental. We whine. We gossip. We complain. If I, if I stepped on enough toes yet, I can keep going. I've got three more toes for me. <laughs> Listen, to come as a little baby, a baby is powerless. A baby is without merit as far as what they do in your life. Coming to Christ means you recognize your need. You know, I kind of refreshed myself on the 12 steps this morning. You guys would be very proud. You know, I keep telling you guys it came right out of the Bible, right? What's the first step? I'm powerless. I have nothing. Second step, I need God. And everything flows from that, doesn't it? Everything else flows from that. Restitution, forgiveness, self-examination, all of it comes from the, stat, from the fact that you're trusting in God. Apart from God, all of that stuff would be just torture, wouldn't it? Apart from God, there is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no redemption. So, you know, AA, when it's in its true form and it mentions Jesus Christ as your highest power, might be the only place I've seen in our culture that gets it. 
we all come to the table powerless and without merit. When we humble ourselves, in due time, God will exalt us. You guys ever have a friend who is arrogant and prideful and braggy? Didn't they just make you want to just lift them up and praise them? No? You wanted to chop them down, knock them down a little bit? Yeah, good. So why are we like that with God? Why do we come and say, God, I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and then look what I get? Pride. And me. He said that would be me and I go, yeah, okay. When we walk like that, we start thinking, it, we start living in our own merit. When I start living like that, I think I can be wise. I think I can solve things. And God has to humble me to bring me back to a place where I'm like a little baby and I'm dependent. A baby relies on those who love them for everything. Moms, when I say everything, I mean everything, don't I? Everything. You can't stop yourself from choking. You can't, you can't feed yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't flush the toilet. You can't, none of those, you, nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And it's not just about receiving Christ. If you're in here this morning and you've never received Christ, and you're wondering, how in the world do I, I want what those guys have? How do I get that? Don't worry about whether you're good enough or not. Because none of us have anything we bring to the table. I mean, I just, think about this. God imagined the entire universe imagined putting this system into place where stars are born and die and black holes are formed and all these things we're discovering and looking at. and This was in the mind of God. And then he had the power to create it. But he had such a sense of detail that he knew that, you, that one day he would want to walk with his people in the cool of the garden. So he made these beautiful little green plants who somehow get reach into the dirt and pull water and nutrients up and bring them up to the, to the top and expose them to light and they turn green and beautiful and bring out flowers. And then he made a breeze and so that he could walk with us in the cool of the garden in the shade. And we think he can't take care of our little problems? He doesn't love us enough. He's not strong enough. He's not big enough. That's pride. Because you think you got to help and you got to do it. Here's what you got to do I got nothing. Can you pick me up? Can you carry me? I just messed my diaper. 
Yeah, all of it. Every little bit of it, including the embarrassing and the broken and the horrible. And you know what? He loves you so much, you know what he does? He picks you up. He holds you close. He changes that diaper. Even the most humbling, nasty thing. He loves you. And his arms are not too short to do whatever is necessary. How will you walk in and receive his kingdom? You know, pride is like is this thing, it's called a Canadian thistle. Anybody ever pull a thistle? It's a plant with a little flower, and it's got spikes on it. And it's, yeah, it's a weed. It's got long, deep roots. And the Canadian thistle, it's really tricky because not only do the roots go down, but they go out up to three feet and other thistles come up. And if you've ever pulled a thistle with your bare hands, it hurts because it's got little, little needles all over the edges. And if you don't get the entire root out, guess what happens? It comes right back. And that's your pride. It hurts to pull your pride out. And if you don't get all of it, it's going to come back. And here's the thing. Mark my words. You know what thistles grow best in? They'll grow anywhere. And they'll grow in any environment. But you know where they grow best? Good soil. When things are going well for you, When things are good is when the thistles grow the best. When we're in the dirt, it's easy to be humble, isn't it? But when things are good, I don't know about you, but you know, one of our church members was talking about dry bones. My, my, experiences is, my experience when, when I get dry... It's almost always when things are good and I don't have anything that's beyond me and, I can, and I'm doing everything in my own power. It sucks the life out of my soul. And it's my pride because I got this. And it shows up because I stopped praying. It shows up because I stopped seeking God's will in this word. And you know what? It hurts to pull that pride out. So I'm warning you, when things are good, and some of you guys have experienced this, when things are good, the thistles are coming. Your pride is coming. And if you don't get that weed out, right down to the root, It's going to destroy you. You know, Job 29 is where Job is recounting everything, everything that he had done for, to, to earn God's 
pointing him out to, to Satan. You know, and it's pretty amazing. In modern terms, let me modernize it a little bit. So Job was the man in town. Whenever the, whenever the leaders, they had a council meeting or, or a bit better business bureau meeting or whatever, and Job walked into the room, everybody else shut up and waited to hear what he had to say. He was the most successful businessman. He, he had hundreds and thousands of, of livestock where everybody else had a few. He was a champion for social justice. He got people who were on death row, accused unjustly, free. He rescued widows and orphans. His kids loved each other. Parents, how many of us go, I wish my kids loved each other? (laughs) His kids would get together at every one of their birthdays, at one of their, whoever's birthday it was, they'd go to their house and they'd have a party together. All 10 of them. How cool is that? And then God allowed Satan to take it all away. And if Satan, and, it, and if, as Satan took it away, if Job had been walking in his pride, after all he had done, after all the social justice he had done, after all the leadership he had provided, after, he was the man in town. How dare that somebody do this to him, Right? And if that had been Job's response, that would have been a result of pride. But if you want to know what it looks like to be a person walking in humility, turn to Job chapter 1. He's just been there. They've recounted everything he owns. And then person by person by person, servant by servant by servant comes up and says, this disaster happened, you lost all your sheep. This disaster happened, you lost all your camels. This disaster happened, you lost all your children. He started the day wealthy and an amazing family and in just a few short minutes learns he is destitute and childless. And look at Job's response. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. He was broken. He didn't deny the grief. He didn't not mourn. He embraced the pain of of the moment in life. But when he looked at God, he saw him for who he was, and he worshiped. And listen, this is how he could do that. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Humility when things are going well, will show up, will be tested when it all falls apart. And in that moment, 
Are you going to look and trust God? Are you going to say, I didn't bring anything to the table to begin with, and I'll go out with nothing? The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or are you going to choose to walk with thistles? You're going to walk with pride. It's your choice. I'm going to try to walk in, in humility. Pray for that for me. Because <laughs> it's, it's not easy. And I will pray for it for you. But here's what it looks like. You recognize who God is. You recognize that this is his word. You read it, you pray about it, you reflect on it, you live it, do it, trust it, even when it doesn't make sense. When you're at the end of yourself, stop fighting to find solutions and stop and pray. Just pray. When you're wronged, You need to understand, you probably didn't even deserve the good treatment that you did receive. This is probably how you should be treated all the time based on what you earned. And know that your father is going to carry you through it. Even the greatest injustice that can be done to you can be turned into a blessing for God. Corey Ten Boom. It has inspired millions in faith. She had to lose her family and spend years in a German concentration camp for that encouragement to come. Elizabeth Elliot got to lead an entire tribe of Amazon natives to the Lord who led others to the Lord. But she had to lose her husband and all his friends for it to happen. Sometimes your greatest loss will be your greatest moment. God is good, even when He takes everything away. Not just when you get to see Chloe, but even when you don't.